Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We've published some great episodes in the month of December, including a rewatchables with Quentin Tarantino on Dunkirk. Sean Fennessy sat down with Greta Gerwig to talk about her new film, Little Women, on The Big Picture. And Adam Sandler and Kevin Garnett appeared on the Bill Simmons podcast to talk about their newest film, Uncut Gems. Happy New Year from The Ringer. Basketball is very good. The Nuggets should trade no one. Kawhi should rest even more games. The Knicks should build around Marcus Morris. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. My name is Chris Ryan. It's group chat. My group today, as it always is, is Justin Verrier. Hello. And Jonathan Charks in Texas. What's up, Charks? What's up, guys? Uh, I wanted to talk about the winter of discontent. Mm. We get out of this holiday season. The Phil Spector music is put back <laughs> in the in the ornament chest. Nobody is happy. Nobody is feeling giving anymore. Everybody is mad. Well, speak for yourself. No, I'm talking about these NBA teams mm. because for a while, Justin and I were like, oh, you know, there's no drama this year. You know, where are the storylines? Where's everybody? And then you went to Philly. And then I, no, well, I mean, it just didn't <laughs> even correspond with that. We were fine in Philadelphia. Yeah. But now a bunch of teams broke themselves over the last week or so. So you got the Sixers. Uh, three and seven in their last ten. Losers of four straight. Guys taking shots at Simmons, not so veiled shots at Simmons and his reluctance to shoot. Uh, they lost to the Rockets on Friday. I get the feeling like I'm the only person who spent his Friday night watching the Rockets and the Sixers. Sharks, did you? I caught a little bit of it, not the whole game though. What did you do otherwise? <laughs> what was? Your- I have a wife, Chris. <laughs> yeah, and I have a dog now. So okay. All right, I was at a bar by myself watching the Sixers Rockets. <laughs> it sounds like a great time. It was okay. Mm. Uh, I, I was there with like, there was a Lakers fan there who was really feeling himself. Do people accost you? And like when the Sixers go down, and they're like, Chris, look at look at this. Not at, like at the bar? Yeah. No, uh, nobody knew who I was. I, was he's a, not as famous as you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, they, you know, so the Sixers had basically, they, they, they never looked like they were going to beat the Rockets. They got it within like six or eight. But it was a microcosm of what's been going on, which is that this is a team capable of playing really good defense. They have a couple of elite defenders, and they look completely clueless in their half-court offense. There was a moment I wanted to just mention. This is just great stuff to start the week. By the way, welcome to the Ringer NBA show. (laughs) Welcome to 2020. I wanted to mention this one moment where Rockets were in half-court. Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers at the top of the key. Austin Rivers just kind of like small, like six-foot pass over to Eric Gordon. Immediate touch pass back to Austin Rivers, three-pointer top of the key switch. And I was like, oh, I, I haven't seen that Sixers ever have a play like that this season. That's, it's like a level of like chemistry and kind of uh, freedom that the Rockets seem to play with that the Sixers just completely lack. Now, part of that is just because they don't have those kinds of players. I think if they had five Trey Burks, there'd be... Yeah, two guys who can shoot threes. Yeah, they have touch passes <laughs> out, coming out, out of their ears. But... That's just kind of where they're at. And it's obviously starting to, the cracks are starting to show a little bit because you've got Josh Richardson and Al Horford both expressing their displeasure with the accountability of the team, Horford with his role on the team. And Bede said that the losing was taking a toll on him. It's like, it's been four games, dude. Just fucking relax. Right. And meanwhile, it seems like a lot of the focus is coming in on Simmons. And this is now, you know, it's not just the Sixers. We've seen some sort of discontent happening in Denver over the last couple of games. Obviously, in Cleveland, shit is going really wrong. Uh, Trey Young com- kind of complaining about like his supporting cast in Atlanta. Um, so you know, it's, it's, starting to, it's starting to 
teams that are not good or teams that are not playing up to their potential are starting to make that known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest issue is, as you mentioned, the, the sky isn't really falling here. It's just a losing streak. The thing that really gives me pause and, and really makes me worry about them going forward is that Embiid is taking this one situation and really like fed into it. It's it's almost like a fight with the significant other where it's like, it's just a, a minor inconvenience All or small thing. All he has to say thing. is like, they're not really supposed to beat Houston on the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he's turning this into just like a whole existential crisis. Yeah. And that is what worries about me because as we've talked about now for two years, there does seem to be this like collision course happening with Ben and Joel and it hasn't gotten better and it doesn't feel like Joel feels like it's getting better. That's the most important part. Sharks, do you think that Embiid has, is right to be this upset about what's going on? I think he's looking at all his numbers going down, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's like, he was an MVP candidate last year. Now they got a bigger team around him and he's not. He's 25. He's like, this guy, Ben, I mean, he's getting in my way. Yeah, that's a really good point because it does feel like Joel is fighting multiple fronts right now where, yes, he's also like trying to figure out the Sixers and his fit with Ben, making the best of that. But there's also like tons of people constantly coming into the mix, criticizing him for not playing the right way, specifically the Shacks, the Chucks. And so it feels like yeah. he needs to validate himself as a big man and he also needs to validate himself on the team level. Yeah, and I think that big men can, I, I think big men can be complainers, you know, because there's a lot that they have to do that kind of gets overlooked. And there is a lot that has to happen for them to get the right kinds of offensive possessions. And I, Embiid's willingness to play back-to-basket on the block, I, I, I'm kind of indifferent about. I mean, he seems more than comfortable standing out there at the top of the key. Um, and I guess the reason why he does that is because the lane is clogged by Horford and Simmons and and everything. But, you know, this stuff is all happening as the NBA trade deadline is starting to heat up and the trade talks are starting to heat up. And the same thing goes for the Clippers, who were 6-4 and four in their last 10, but, like, you know, and still have the third-best point differential in the West, and I still think are easily, like, when the chips come down, are going to be the best playoff team, which is really all that matters. But... They lost a brunch match to the Grizz on Saturday, and they needed to score 135 points to beat the Knicks on Sunday. And there's a lot of stop-start with them with George one night and Kawhi the other night. And it's like, they, they rarely have their best five ready and rocking. And, you know, as that stuff goes on, and, you know, Montrez Harrell after the Grizzlies game kind of did a little bit of, well, you know, the locker room isn't on the same page. You just never know how, how much, how real this stuff is and whether or not it's going to play into teams looking to make deals at the deadline. I am of the belief that games on a weekend in a metropolitan city before 2 p.m., let's say, should not count. It's just, it doesn't, those results don't matter because someone somewhere on that roster has gone out the night before. Mm -hmm. And that's what that game against the Grizzlies suggested to me. Now, they also had a really poor showing in the first half against the Knicks, it strikes me as the sort of situation where the Clippers probably, they have, they know everything that they need to know about themselves at this point. Maybe they might want to augment a few things on the fringes, maybe look at a couple things at the trade deadline, but this team works. We saw mm-hmm. it on Christmas Day where it, against the best team in the West, all they needed to do was kind of turn on the fourth and they did that. Yeah, and it's, it's Sharks, the thing about the Clippers that kind of blows my mind is that how often they win when they don't think that they're playing at their best. 
Yeah, I think they've had their full roster for one game for that Christmas Day. I think I saw it somewhere. That was the only game all season where they've had like their whole eight-man rotation. Yeah, that's the bi- that's the biggest part of it. They've been like throwing in Rodney Magruder. They don't really practice. Doc has kind of complained about this recently, even though he's one of the, the biggest culprits <laughs> in that. But th- it just feels like they're mixing and matching at this point, and they really haven't had their full boat. I do think it would be interesting if they did try to really push for it at the deadline, though. Right. So what are their pieces? What are the Clippers' pieces? Shamit? Shamit. I mean, if they... If they wanted to make a smaller trade, they could get rid of Harkless and a draft pick mm-hmm. because they do have their... That'd be own. enough to get something. Yeah. Harkless and a pick. Or if they just want to jump the line on Andre Iguodala to prevent him going to a Dallas or if the he Lakers, goes in a buyout yeah. uh, with the Lakers. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, Marcus Morris is another guy that's been floated for them. Yeah. All of a sudden, Marcus Morris is like... Marcus, the, the is, Mor- Marcus Morris is... Is that clutch? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, no, he left Clutch because oh, of what happened with... the Spurs thing. Yes. Yeah, right. Which has really gone well for him. He ended up getting money and going to New York, and now it seems like every team needs him. Yes. Yeah, the Sixers are in, are apparently in the Marcus Morris sweepstakes, so... <laughs> yeah. It's a Philadelphia homecoming for yeah. him. Um, so you've got the Clippers and the Sixers, both very good teams, maybe not paying up, playing up to their potential, but I think both teams are c- constructed with an eye towards the playoffs, right? And yeah. both teams... Uh, have an idea about what they want to be in the spring rather than what they need to be in, in January. Well, yeah, that's a really good point, specifically to to go back to the Sixers here. The obvious kind of contrast for them is the Bucks, just because the Bucks are almost built to dominate in the regular season. But as we saw in the playoffs, they came against Kawhi and the Raptors and didn't end up having that next level in order to beat that sort of team. The Bucks are still that team now. It seems like everything they do is almost, uh, I don't know, There's, it's a very clear directive of how they play, where it's just driving kick. Giannis plays more like a, a, a modern big rather than Joel, who plays more like a traditional big. Do we feel like the Sixers' issues are specifically regular season issues? Or do we think that this the sheer amount of talent they have, they'll be able to figure that out in the playoffs when a lot of those guys are playing more. I think there's a, they're a perimeter playmaker away from being a serious Eastern Conference contender even. Mm-hmm. I think that they have a team that's like designed to to beat Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they can do it in seven games. I think they can do it, you know, like at home on Christmas when it's like they're G'd up to do it. But I'm, I'm not sure that they have a team that can crack that code for seven game series. Yeah, they never replaced Jimmy Butler. Yeah. They, it's the same issue. Like they still don't have a a point guard who can play pick and roll with Joel or Ben, really. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the best Embiid, guy Simmons can't run pick and roll. Like, Simmons is actually more effective yeah. as a screener right now. Right. Did you, yeah, that was one thing in that Rockets game he was doing a little more. They moved Embiid out of the way, had Simmons setting screens for people. Like, when he's doing that, he's obviously very effective. Yes, right. And so, where they get that playmaker, because I feel like a bunch of teams are looking for that. Are looking for that one extra guy in the in the backcourt, whether it's the Lakers who don't probably want to rely on Rondo and Caruso in the playoffs. Although last night, I know the Caruso show, baby. Caruso is like Caruso. <laughs> that's a thing. Caruso Showtime. Yeah, that's a thing uh, for you. Uh, well, for me, and also <laughs> it, it seems like Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Has it crossed over to mainstream Lakers fandom? Like, or is Caruso like a cult hero? What do you think, Charks? God, he's on TV <laughs> enough, I guess. I think, but if we're talking perimeter playmakers, all roads go through Bogdanovich. That's the guy who could swing this whole thing. 
All right, well, we could talk a little bit about these trade targets. I want to talk about the Cavs, too. I mean, needless to say, the Cavs are the rivers on fire. Uh, <laughs> sure. And, you know, Kevin Love um, has expressed his, his disappointment in his situation there. He had a blow-up with Colin Sexton on the floor. He posted a image of Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker on his Instagram and said, Mood. Which you hate to see that. I didn't see that. Yeah, and then uh, he, come on, big picture. He apparently <laughs> come on, big picture, and he apparently had a, a what? What is one of multiple blowups he's had at Kobe Altman about the state of the team? So we could talk about the Cavs, but you know, as we were sort of coming in to recording, the Kyle Kuzma trade talk started heating up a lot more with rumors that the Kings were interested in taking on Kuzma. Charks, what was your reaction when you heard that Bogdan might be the make weight? Uh, for for Kuzma going the other way. I think that would be a great trade for the Lakers. I think Bogdan, to me, could really swing the whole... He's a good enough player to get on a good team. As a, if he's your third scorer, he's a great shooter, a great playmaker. He's a veteran. He plays decent enough defense. Like To me, he could really push LA over the top. If I was the Lakers, I'd do that in a second. It's probably the most terrifying trade on the board if you're any other team except for the Lakers. That's exactly the type of player they need to really round out this team because as we've seen that Kyle Kuzma will just come on like once every seven games or so and he looks good, but for the most part, he doesn't fit what they're doing and in the playoffs, if they want to go more AD and LeBron at the five and the four, Mm -hmm. that basically means that Kuzma is your three and it just doesn't feel like he's that perfect fit there. Having... Bogdanovich is kind of like your heat check guy next to LeBron. That's incredible. You don't think that they need a point guard more than they need another shooter, another But Bogdan guy. can run point, though. That's yeah. what makes him so good. Oh, he God. was running point a lot when uh, Fox was out in Sacramento. Like, Bogdan, what makes him so special, he's one of the rare elite shooters. Oh, during that run, run when they, like, didn't have Bagley and Fox and, like, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, they won, like, like, seven or eight games. Yeah. I, it's really disappointing because that means the Caruso would just get pushed aside. I mean, does Caruso step ahead of Rondo? There's the the real headline there. (laughs) Is Caruso higher up in the pecking order than Rondo at this point, though? Uh, In my personal, like, one, yeah. Right. But but not Rondo. No, That's what matters, though. Yeah, exactly. Who are some other... uh, Let's talk about some of these other trade possibilities because Haley obviously wrote about uh, Kevin Love destinations last week. But even some of her destinations as of, like, a week ago, like the Portland reunion, for instance... Portland, I know, are notorious for their second half of the season runs, but they kind of need to get their shit together pretty soon. Yeah, they're kind of at the point where I wonder if it makes sense to really push all in this season. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you, would you just just kind of like pack it in and just worry about the future at this point? Especially because love, as we've talked about, is just an uneasy fit for a lot of teams. And the issue with him, with trading for him, is just like his contract. Yeah. Like even if you find a way to like pair him with the perfect front court partner, how do you deal with all the cap implications? And his health issues. Health and issues. And his too. attitude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And his lack of defense. Like who's paying this guy hundred million dollars in his mid thirties? That's tough. What about Horford for love? Wow. It's gotten that bad, Chris. No, I'm just this? it's just an idea. Yeah. I'm not even sure that, that that just came into my mind and I said it. That's great podcasting. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that the Sixers could make up for some of his defensive liabilities. He stretches the floor more than Horford. He's a better three-point shooter than Horford. 
I mean, it'd be like quadrupling down. That's been fully the last three years. It'd be fun to watch. I guess if you're Cleveland. And then you reroute. I, I yeah. Can you re- just reroute Horford after that? <sighs> or you do a three-way trade or something like that. Yeah, he would have to go somewhere where a team needed. So, I mean, maybe like a Dallas. Uh-huh. I like it. They looked at him over the summer. Yeah, he's just a, it's a hard fit for a lot of centers these days. I mean, Andre Drummond is a guy who's come up in trade talks. Yeah, right. But be the same problem with Horford and he's way older. You were talking about Portland uh, as a team that might want to look at tearing it down this season, maybe. When you say, so when you say like pack it in, do you mean tear it down or do you just mean like, just don't push for it? Like, so, really? Just kind of go forward with what That's, you have. <laughs> who doesn't, who just doesn't push for it? <laughs> <laughs> you either tank or you don't, right? Uh, yeah. Well, just don't trade for Kevin Love. That's what he's saying. Oh, yeah. I see what you're like, saying. You could either really make a go for it and like try to do as best as you can this season, or you could look at the bigger picture and realize maybe this just isn't your year. I think that would make sense with Portland, considering just how poorly they've done. On the other hand, though, I mean, the West is there for the taking. As have you seen, like a team like the Pelicans goes on a whatever it is six and two run, and all of a sudden it looks like, hey, maybe Zion comes back and they make the playoffs. Yeah, right. So I don't to know. Play the Lakers in the first round. It's hard to go all in to do that. There's that too, yeah. Yes, right. I mean, like, that's why it's actually, like, what the Thunder are doing makes sense. Because if the Thunder are the seventh or the sixth seed, that, that, that's a more reasonable reason. Like, I, I can see why you would want to go all in if you were the Thunder at this point. Also, like, that's just an incredible story for them. Like, they should not trade Chris Paul. Mm. Chris, can you imagine if it was Rockets Thunder in the first round? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that that's would a, be incredible. I actually think that's a series. It'd be so much fun. Oh, my gosh. There's a stat floating around. I, I I don't know the specifics, but I believe the Thunder are about as good as they were last year around this time. Really? Yeah. So they are the since trading George Westbrook and Jeremy Green. Yeah, and they're like among the best teams since December third. I think it is. So, they're nine and, and one in their past ten. Right, and the trio of Schroeder, um, Paul, and SGA is like a top five NBA trio right now. Chris, Which, take your victory lap. This is my victory earlier. lap. I, I don't I don't make a lot of calls anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I like to just try to keep the ball moving. I'm, a, I'm the Alex Caruso of this pod. <laughs> but when I call something <laughs> and I'm right, too. I'm going to take a lap. And the SGA, Chris Paul, Schroeder, three-headed monster backcourt is my shit. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. They're and, good. And Basley's good. Yeah, man. They've been a fun story to watch. I just wonder going into the deadline though, if you're looking at the bigger picture, aren't you still looking Man, to be a seller? Let me tell you something. This one goes, Sam, 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 Presty, <laughs> don't do it. Okay. Don't sell high. Like let these let the let the people in Oklahoma enjoy this. This is cool. Don't don't trade Gallo. Don't trade Terrence Ferg. Don't trade Adams. Like let this team play it out. Didn't you see a thing of how there could be a buyer at the at the deadline? They have so many draft picks. I know, that's the thing. Yeah, but what does that really give you? Is it just like for, for pride's sake that you bested? The What's fo- the point of having a franchise there? <laughs> it's, it's a great point. Uh, I don't know. It's Why just- can't Oklahoma City be like what Portland's been the last 10 years where it's like this frisky team that's in the middle of the pack. Some years are better than others. And, you know, who knows? One year they might get like a nice seating break. You know, it, it, the West is the West. I understand it's hard to see anybody eclipsing the two LA teams to say nothing of Houston. Yeah, and they don't really have to worry about 
in the immediate, all of their draft picks that they're getting from the Clippers are probably just going to be at the bottom of the first round anyway. Sure, you can bundle those, yeah. So They like, have literally like 10 draft picks with the Rockets and the Clippers. They have too many they can even use. Right, but they're all going to end up at the bottom of the first round. So you do wonder, if they are going the hard reset, how much ground can they really make over the next two to three years? Why wouldn't it make sense just to go for it right now? Because like... If they're going to be this good, or if they can't fail enough in order to get into the top of the first round, it does feel like they'll be caught in the middle regardless. Yeah, but I think that there's— Yeah, some, there's some, no point in tanking to go from like 15 to 10 in the draft. That's pointless. Yeah. Right, but like I think that when— There's little things that are happening when you watch the Thunder where you can see, like even if you just read about like the way SGA, at least right now, because like he, Chris Paul definitely has a sell-by date with, in terms of how he interacts with his teammates. But right now, like— SGA is super into Chris Paul. and Yeah, like, Chris, you know what? I heard a story about that. They're like super tight now. Right. Like inseparable. Uh, what was Chris the story? Just that they were... Just, I just heard someone, someone told me that, that they were like really close off the court. Yeah, and like I, 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 Eric Horn was writing about this in The Athletic, but he was like, look at this clip of... It was just like an end of the first half buzzer beater that Chris Paul hit like a mid-range jumper. I think this is last week. It might have been against the Raptors or the Cavs or something. I think it was the Cavs because it was like a dead arena and it was... Chris Paul basically hit the brakes, hits like a mid-range jumper to end the first half. And Alexander comes running over from the far corner and like jumps in in front of Steven Adams to like come and celebrate with Chris Paul because he loves the move so much. He starts celebrating before Paul even takes the jumper. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, these guys really like each other. This is like a fun chemistry experiment. And I, I understand like practically it makes sense. Oh, you know, see if you can get a buyer for Chris Paul while his contract is now somehow bounced back from from where, where a lot of people thought it was like untradeable um, toxicity. And now maybe a Miami goes all in on him or something like that. No, man, like you make your run, make the run. So what you're saying is James Harden was the one they should have traded in Houston? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do think the dynamic that's playing out with Shea is particularly interesting because it Paul has a history of relating to point guards differently on his own team. It seemed like Eric Bledsoe, who was clearly the number two, uh, they got along fine until Bledsoe wanted more, kind of asked for his way out, and he ended up uh, going to Phoenix eventually. It seems like Paul has much more of an issue with his peers. Mm -hmm. He could talk down to people, but he can't work with someone. Sure. And, and that ultimately is the story of Chris Paul, and it seems like that's playing out yet again where this mentorship or whatever with Shea is, is really working to both of their benefits. I think too, this is the role that actually makes sense for Chris Paul, like not going for a championship, but being more of like the guy who makes a trillion dollars and helps other players get better. Yeah. That's probably a more realistic expectation for him at this stage of his career anyways. Well, we've talked a lot about Westbrook's impact in Houston. Mm -hmm. Considering that Paul has been not only good, but healthy. Do you think that the Rockets have buyer's remorse? Uh, I think it's it, the Rockets are different because the Rockets are traders. So it's like they they as in they trade or they are traitors. No, I think they're no like they are like day traders. Okay. Like I think yes. I think of them almost being like it doesn't matter if we have buyer's remorse because we're only as good as the next deal we make. Mm. So so the, I, I've got a theory about this okay. actually with Chris Paul and the Rockets. Because remember, there was a story out that Chris Paul wanted to be traded. That was like the rumor at first. Yeah, I think and so. And I'm thinking he might have like looked at the Rockets and said, James Harden's not going to win. 
I don't want to stand in a corner for three years not winning anyways. Let me go somewhere else and play my game again because this is not very fun for me if I'm not going to win it anyways. Right, and he gets, even though SGA is technically a point guard, he's young enough and malleable enough and the, Oak- and the Thunder are probably excited enough to get somebody with the sticker value of, of Paul. You can at least put on a billboard and at least say like Chris Paul and the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight that they can move SGA to an off-ball position. And honestly, like for as much as I love watching Westbrook play, having him out of the building allowed them to do a little bit of a tactical reset. They run so much pick and roll now. Yeah. And isn't it not the most Chris Paul thing to want to go to the team that everyone says is rebuilding Mm -hmm. and just completely rebuild them into a contender within a year? Like, on the one hand, I worry about Paul being kind of a ticking time bomb where maybe a year from now, let's say he lasts this season, we're in November of next season, the Thunder aren't really an elite team. He realizes he's really old. LeBron is still competing for titles, and that's just not good enough. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I'm like, Chris Paul, more than anything, likes to tell people to fuck off. And it would be the biggest fuck you to turn this team into a Western Conference elite team, like another Denver, Yeah, just within the year of being traded to them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about elite, but I, I think that is what he's at best at, is like making good teams better. But then you talk about like making a great team, a championship team. Paul at this stage of his career can't do that anymore. But he can still do this. And it's probably more fun for him too. I mean, where would you even put him? I, I, Miami is the team that keeps getting mentioned. and But where would you even send Paul? This is the weird <sighs> Man, thing about this so trade tough. deadline this year is that... Okay, they, I've, got, I've got where I would send him if I was like gambling. Uh-huh. I'd send him to Milwaukee. That'd be the team. Maybe they could use him. What's the deal then? Interesting. What would you have to Bledsoe give up? And some, Bledsoe and some salaries. Like Bledsoe, <laughs> Ilyasova or something. Poor Bledsoe, man. Maybe more. <laughs> Just I don't know. the short but end of Chris gonna, Paul. If I was going to send Chris Paul to a contender, it'd be Milwaukee. Hmm. Yeah. I, I wonder. I, so the two things I worry about there is a, it would seem to me that Chris Paul is a little bit of like it takes a while to mesh. And the Bucks thing, even though it's, it remains to be seen whether the Bucks thing is going to work deep into the playoffs, they are really clicking. I mean, every power ranking, Bucks number one. The Bucks are routinely on some f- multi game winning streak. Uh, like, they are the, they have, I think, top, top defense, second offense, right? Yeah, they're up there. I mean, the metrics say the Bucks are the best team in the NBA. So it would seem strange for them to screw with it too much. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I'm just thinking in terms of Paul's fit. I feel yeah. like in Miami, it'd be more him and Jimmy playing like who's got the ball in their hands. Whereas in Milwaukee, he could play pick and roll with Giannis. And that'd probably be the best way to use him. Yeah, to me, the best fit is the one that we talked about after it seemed like Miami had moved on for him, which is the Timberwolves. Like, mm-hmm. the, the guy that everyone wants to talk about as a fit with Towns is D'Angelo Russell, and we'll see what the Warriors want to do with him uh, after, you know, they, they get a full season of him in their system. But to me, what the Wolves need is an organizing presence like Paul. They need someone like Paul to do what Paul has done to the Thunder because it is still a young team, and Towns is such a young star that they really need someone to make something out of the chaos. And I think that's the type of player I would target if I'm the Wolves rather than a Russell, who is going to introduce even more chaotic elements. Well, I mean, he's going to get his points. He's going to want to get his points on a nightly basis. I, I, at a certain point, the Wolves have to look at like what they have and see their record as a referendum on Towns as much as it is on the talent that surrounds them. Have you been watching much Wolves, uh, John? I keep up with them. I mean... 
I think you look at them and they're just not a very good team. Like they're playing like <laughs> Josh Akoji and Jarrett Culver and Trevion Graham. There's just no chance some of the guys are playing. So to yeah. me, like they can't look at it like this means Towns is bad. The Wolves have a new front office. They came from Houston to have Carl Towns. Right. Giving up on him, that'd be kind of crazy. Yeah. And Towns just has been hurt lately. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, the team lives and dies with Towns. And if he's not going to be on the floor, they don't have a chance. But I do wonder if if he comes back and Paul is there, if this team makes some sense. Like, if we're talking about teams that might want to push over the next uh, half of the season, they would be a prime target for me. Oh, you, uh, you think the Wolves should be buyers of some sort? If Towns is healthy See, enough. It wouldn't surprise me if they moved Covington and went the sure. other way. Well, he's probably the most, in, in a weird way, like, we could talk about Love, talk about Kuzma. The Cove deal, man, like that, it's such a friendly contract and that's exactly the kind of guy, a 3 and D guy that most teams would want on their roster. Like name, a, name an elite team right now that wouldn't want Covington. Let's get him back in Philly, Chris. <laughs> Dude, don't tempt me. I'd be happy. For Tobias? Um, <sighs> that's a really nah, they question. need more shot creators. That would be tough to get rid of one of the only guys. No, I know. It's true. It's yeah. true. Bring Dario back first. <laughs> Dario's um, not even playing anymore. Have you seen that, by the way? He's, he's like not even in rotation in Phoenix. Is he? Tough times. They're oh, starting Baines and Aiden together. <laughs> How's that working out for them? Oh, uh, you know. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about some of these other other Western Conference teams because I, I wanted to ask about Denver. There's been in the last couple of days, obviously, we've seen um, MPJ come back, uh, you know, arrive really, not come back. I mean, he's basically been in cotton balls on the bench, and he comes out in the past five games, thirteen point eight points a game on seventy two percent field goal percentage and forty almost forty four percent from three point uh, in eighteen minutes a game. Uh, lit up Indy, had a great game against Sac. And then in that in those corresponding games, I feel like there's also been a a cratering of the Denver defense. Trucks, is that are those two things correlated? I don't know. I feel like with Denver, he's only playing like 15 minutes off the bench. So I can't like blame him for the defense falling down. I think Denver's in a pretty good spot right now. And I think with Porter coming up, this to me is him that's gonna make a trade. They have to almost. Because they've got because too they many have, guys now. Yeah, because they have Malik Beasley not even playing anymore. And he's going to be a free agent this summer. So they're traveling for a while. I've been thinking Malik Beasley and uh, Mason Plumley for Iguodala. Hmm. Then you have, he's a six-man Denver. You know, gives you good defense. He's played there before. And he can be like the leader of your bench like he was in Golden State. I would drive Malik Be- Beasley from Denver to Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. He would make a lot of sense. He's guy. a really good player. He should get minutes somewhere. He's too good to be on the bench. The problem with the Sixers, they just like they only have overpaid veterans. There. No, I mean like the guys that they would trade are are. I mean, first of all, I don't know. Like for Denver, they're just looking probably to get get like roster spots open. Like John says, like I don't even know. I don't even know what we would send in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean MPJ has been like a really fun story over the past couple of weeks. Uh, it does it's nice because. <sighs> We all expected this, and we've been waiting for it for so long. And for him to finally get the opportunity, uh, it does add kind of a curveball into the whole Western Conference picture mm-hmm. uh, this late in the season, which you don't usually get. I guess my question is... How's he been playing with Jokic? Um, I don't think they've played a lot together, right, right. Sharks? Yeah, because he's always come off the bench. Yeah. 
But I mean, he's he's clearly he did start one game though and played really well against like the Kings. Yeah, he's a scoring machine, and I think it, it makes them far more interesting. I just don't know for this season if it changes their picture all that much. Especially, I mean, yeah, I I think Charks has a good idea that perhaps this would make them more aggressive at the deadline, and maybe they get a guy like Iguodala, someone else in there, and try to really make a go for it. Unfortunately, it feels like what they need is someone with a bit higher of a ceiling or a bit farther along in his development because I, I would still put them behind the Clippers and the Lakers. Would you put them That's, behind the Jazz? Um, would you put them behind the Rockets and would you put them behind the Jazz? They're probably all in that same tier. But if you're really going to like make a go for it, you need to make sure that like on paper, you're better than the Lakers and the Clippers or just capable of beating them in the series. I just, I just don't know if they're ever at that point. I, what they need is MPJ to be two years like down farther the down the road. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's where Iguodala comes in because then he gives you someone who can guard LeBron, guard Kawhi, right? Because right now they're going to have to have uh, Millsap do it probably or Barton. So they're going to need that big wing to guard a guy like that. As Justin was saying, I think that Michael Porter is a rookie, obviously. Today's episode of The Ringer NBA Show is brought to you by Ladder. Do you have enough life insurance? It's this thing we all know we need, but keep putting off because it sounds like a pain to deal with. Ladder has made getting life insurance easy. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions online to get a personalized quote. If you qualify, they'll cover you with the click of a button. No salespeople, no paperwork, no waiting period, just the feeling of doing something right for your family. One of their customers even got a policy in the security line at the airport. Ladder has great prices and rave reviews. $1 million policies start at just $27 a month. Ladder will help you figure out exactly what coverage you need and even let you adjust it over time so you never end up paying more than you should. Take care of your home team. Visit ladderlife.com NBA. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com NBA. Ladder Life term policies are issued by Fidelity Security Life Insurance Company, Kansas City, Missouri, not available in New York. Charks, you wrote a piece last week that I really liked about um, Donovan Mitchell's recent spike in the absence of Mike Conley. And it was it was like fascinating for a bunch of reasons, but most of all, I was wondering if you could talk about what they will have to do when Conley comes back. Because clearly, that was a pretty big get for them to to land a free agent in a in a time when, you know, a lot of or to land land Conley and not a free agent. They just traded for him, right? That was yeah, a pretty big yeah. get get for Utah to land somebody like Conley who they wouldn't be able to attract as a free agent normally. But obviously they're having a hard time integrating him into the system and Mitchell, it seems like they the U- Utah goes as far as Mitchell takes them. What happens when Mike comes back? Yeah, I think the basic gist of my piece was that Utah's really playing well now because Mitchell's playing at point guard. And it's just tough because structurally, if you have Conley and Mitchell, you have two really small guards in your backcourt. And then that moves Mitchell off the ball where he's not nearly as effective. So to me, really, whether Conley's there or not, like this is Donovan Mitchell's team. He has to play point guard. He's a 6'1 guard who slashes to the basket. He has to be the point guard for your team. It's going to be a good team. So how does Conley fit? I'm not really sure, but I think Conley's going to have to learn to play off the ball, which will be really new for him. I think people definitely underestimated how much that would be a transition for both those guys. Hmm. Like Conley's had the ball in his hands his whole career in Memphis. Yeah, what a bad beat for Mike Conley. 
Yeah. Our guy. Like, it, it seemed like he was finally going to get everything he ever wanted by going to Utah. Like, Utah, in a lot of ways, is kind of the newer version of what Grit and Grind was, right? They play, they're plotting, they they win with defense, they're more of an old-school type of team in this modern NBA, and it seemed like after a couple down years in Memphis, Conley was going to get his opportunity to go back to that, just like Gasol got in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And now here he is, he might end up being the problem. That's like, that's that's rough. But that's on Utah to figure that out. I mean, like, you can't, it, all these teams out there who are looking for perimeter playmakers, and you're telling me that they can't figure out a way to make Conley and Mitchell work? I mean, is, there a mat- is it a matter of staggering their minutes? That can help, but then you're not playing Conley as much, right? So it's not that it can't make it work. It's like the levels to making it work, right? Like Conley and Mitchell are still a top six team in the West. That's fine. But right. in a playoff series against an elite team, you're just really, really small in the backcourt. Yeah, and like Utah doesn't make a lot of these all-in moves. Mm-hmm. And this was supposed to be their trump card, right? Right. They go out and they get Bogdanovich. They go out and get Conley. They really want to take advantage of this window that they've established with this good team. And it doesn't really necessarily feel like how they're being deployed so much as it is Conley just like the style of point guard that he's played before just doesn't really fit. Like there was talk uh, both from Conley and Gobert about like how he was delivering his passes to Gobert were different than how he used to with Gasol because Gasol is going to pop more. Sure. Whereas Gobert, all you need to do is lob it at the rim. And he just like, it was almost like like the very granular mechanics of it. Like he just wasn't used to lobbing it as opposed to dishing it off. Well, that's it. John, you wrote about this in your piece, but it's not necessarily even Conley versus Mitchell as much as Mitchell loosening up the rest of that team, especially Ingles who comes in and plays... I guess, stretch four, right? Well, he's really like the two guard. He's okay. like the backup point guard next to Conley. And so now you go in 6'1", 6'7", 6'6", 6'8", instead of 6'1", 6'1". Right. So that's the only thing. And I was thinking like, so I watched a bunch of jazz for the story and I was starting to think, really, I think it's, they have it all wrong. Like the window isn't now to begin with. Mitchell's 23. The window is like in two or three years from now when he's at his ceiling. Yeah, and it does feel like we talk about old school centers being the dinosaurs in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. But it does feel like... Small guards. Small guards, right? And it does feel like we're... Like a lot of teams, their best approach is to lean into these score-first guards as their primary ball handler, which mitigates a guy like Conley, who is more on the ball and getting other guys involved, a little bit more passe. He's obviously a very versatile player. He could work with Mitchell in an ideal setting, but it just seems like both for Mitchell and the Jazz, the best approach is to lean into him as some version of your Harden, your Bradley Beal. Right. So I do wonder, like, I mean, the Wizards, another prime example of that, that Sharks and I have talked about in the past, like, obviously John Wall is a complicated picture and, like, he, he's it's going to be that way regardless. We right? And we don't even know, like, what his athleticism is when and if he comes back. Right? Sure, but it, even the game feels like it's going away from that working. Sure, right. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about another team that's been sort of surging in the West, which is the Pelicans. Um, so uh, according to Griffin, Zion will play when he is ready, but he uh, will be arriving to a team that has a little bit better um, prospects than the one that's, you know, that we've seen for most of the season. Pelicans are 6-2. and two. After losing 13 in a row, they've gone 6-2. and two. I think this is basically the best run of Lonzo's career that we've seen recently. Um, and they've turned things around uh, with favors 
Um, they are seven and three when he plays more than twenty five minutes, and five and twenty one when he doesn't. And they had the worst fives in the league. That was, you know, they were playing like Jackson Hayes and Jaleel Okafor without him. Yeah, um, Jaleel, man, it's it's over for him, unfortunately. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about this New Orleans Renaissance, Justin. <sighs> They're back, baby. Uh huh. <laughs> or or it seems like I don't They're know. They're here I'm, more. Yeah, back. yes, they're, they're yes. Here. They've arrived to mediocre. Uh, I don't really know what to make of the Pelicans at this point because just before this kind of hot streak, where I believe they went on a six and two run, mm-hmm. they'd lost the thirteen like thirteen games in a row, which is the worst that it was like ever gen- been. Is Gentry going to make it? Right. Yeah. And like I've seen some pretty bad Pelicans basketball in my life, which is like a weird thing that I'm able to say <laughs> now. Uh, but this was the worst. Mm-hmm. It just, things weren't working. And on top of that, they were all young. It just feel like they figured things out. I do wonder, even though the if the West is wide open, if even they have enough at this point. To, to get to, to the eight seed? Yeah. Probably not to get past like San Antonio's experience, right? So I did a, I did a story on them for Tuesday. And so I kind of got to look at, look at it a little bit. And I think they did kind of figure something out. Hmm. Because... What, what's, what's been going on is the big change has been with favors at the five. And then you have Ingram is shooting threes now. Lonzo is shooting threes now. And you still have Drew and JJ Redick and Josh Hart and Etuan Moore. So you have all these perimeter guys. They can all defend but Redick. They have multiple creators. The problem, like Chris was saying, was that they had favors at center. No, but favors out, they had a 19-year-old center, Jackson Hayes, who kept being in foul trouble. Then they had Jaleel Okafor playing huge minutes. Like, think about that. Yeah, I remember. Like 2020, Jaleel <laughs> playing big minutes. That's going to be hard. I think they were like minus 10 with him on the floor. And behind them, they had Nicola Melli, who was a European stretch big man center. And they're minus, minus 12 with him. It's all about so, going back to basics, get, baby. Get favors Get in those there. guys out of there. And then if you put Zion at the five and you go Drew, Redick, Lonzo, Ingram, Zion, that's a really good team. But I then think. how are you going to win if you don't have favors on the floor? Well, it's just the center position, right? You're playing a better center in Zion. That'd be the idea. Mm. I don't know. I, I do you're, agree you're, with you. You're always so skeptical about New Orleans. Any false dawn. I'm too close. Yeah. I love them too much. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think Charks has a point. Like, they're finally healthy. And it does feel like that is a big part of it. Favors just like was never available in the first half of the season. Uh, Lonzo, another guy who's dealt with a lot. And even like Josh Hart. At the same time, like these are guys who have had injury issues in the past, Lonzo specifically. And so I don't know how much you can count on Lonzo to be there. Yeah. Quite frankly. And I, like Chris, do wonder like how much, like what is the ideal amount for favors to play? Is he only a 25 game a minute player? And then like, do you play him with Zion sometimes? Or how we also that- just don't know what Zion's going to be or if he's going to be able to stay on the floor. That's the like Zion question. is easily one of my fucking favorite athletes of the last 18 months but like he basically like comes and goes like the wind I mean like he he was an exploded shoe away from not playing from Duke much at all and hasn't played uh hasn't played for New Orleans in a regular season yet this season so it's like I need to see that Zion can stay on the floor for the rest of the season essentially before you start getting into how much of the five is he taking from Derek Favors? I did want to ask like a more broader question before we get out of here, which is that some of the teams that we've been talking about as uh, kind of coming off the rails a little bit here, the Cavs, um, to some extent, I mean, we didn't really talk about Atlanta today, but Atlanta. Um, New Orleans seems to have 
kind of found their footing when they got away from playing guys like Jackson Hayes too much. And they haven't had Zion this season. So the the youth revolution in New Orleans seems to be mitigated somewhat by like guys like Derek Favors and J.J. Redick. Where are we at with turning over the keys to young teams too early? Because I think that that's kind of an interesting storyline this season because, you know, we, I think coming into the season, we we're so excited about like, oh, you know, Atlanta and, all, and in, even, even teams like Orlando and stuff like that. And, you know, over and over again in different teams, the Bulls, uh, you know, with the exception of like Memphis, who's a pretty good feel-good I was gonna story. Say, Memphis is like the one feel-good story that's driven by youth. For the most part, teams that are driven by youth are like really struggling in the NBA this season. Even the Wolves. Yeah, I think well, it's, I mean the Mavs. That's a youth team. Yeah, but the Mavs are like it's it's Doncic who's played in the European Super League, mm-hmm. surrounded by pretty savvy like like. Brunson is an older yeah. draft pick. Yeah. No. And and yeah, it makes sense. I, I think the Pelicans are the more interesting example just because some of their veterans are way more established and are at the point where in any other situation, J.J. Redick should probably be playing for a team that's looking to win a title. Yeah. And Derek Favors, another guy. And so they have the more interesting balancing act to do, especially because they're still trying to figure out their G League situation. It seemed like it made What do you mo- mean by that? They're still trying to figure out their G League situation. Do they have a G League team? Well, they're they're currently, I believe, working with... No, they have their own team now at the G League showcase. It was the Erie Bayhawks. That's what it is. Yeah. The Erie, like, Pennsylvania Bayhawks? Yeah. That's not very or adjacent Ohio to New Orleans. They're, they're slowly moving it down... Down the Mississippi <laughs> River. <laughs> yeah. It will eventually get there, but for now, they're just like... They're just got a G League team on a riverboat, no, it's, like, um... <laughs> pulling their way down towards New Orleans? It's going to Birmingham eventually. Okay. It's a uh, Portland and Denver team, not a G League team. Okay. It's those two. Yeah. But they were getting Hayes and Nikhil Alexander Walker reps at the NBA level. And you think going forward, if Zion's window for like really hitting it is like two years, three years down the road, then those guys, those reps that they were getting would pay off around sure. then, right? Sure. But all of a sudden we're saying like, hey, the eighth seed is, is wide open. Favors is really playing well. JJ is really pay- playing well. And all of a sudden Hayes and and Nikhil just, like, aren't playing. Yeah. So how do you balance that? Especially because Zion, like, how do you balance it with Zion? How much? How many minutes do you play Zion? They should have Zion on the John Morant program. Yes, probably. I mean, I don't know the science behind any of this, but, like, that sounds right. That's never mattered before. Let's not worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Charkson, why does... I mean, Memphis in some ways are just playing above where we thought they might be. But well, the what, great Taylor Jenkins, Chris, that's coach right. of the year. <laughs> that's right. So, but but is there any secret sauce to Memphis, or is it just that that their players are better than these other teams' players? Well, I think too, you have to look at injuries and how like one player can affect everything, right? Atlanta, they are counting on John Collins this year. He either been suspended or hurt the whole season. And like I say with New Orleans, right? So Atlanta was playing Bruno Fernando, Damian Jones, and Alex Lennon center, right? Like. That's just not going to be enough. And no wonder they want Good team or bad team or not, you have to have decent players in every position. I think the NBA is too good to have a bad player starting, really. That's what comes on to me. If you don't have five good players, it's hard to compete. Mm-hmm. Charks, if we're taking victory laps today, do you want to talk about Brandon Clark? The great Brandon Clark, yes. <laughs> Memphis is killing it. We had some stat in the Slack about how like Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones like the most productive pair in the NBA or something. <laughs> 
<laughs> Just as you predicted it, man. Brandon Clark, 64% field goal shooting. Yeah, I mean, definitely. He's a really, he's a great player. He's 6'8". He's an elite athlete. And he's got a really high feel for the game. NBA teams overthought that real bad. I think the Grizzlies getting John Morant and Clark in the same draft is just, you do things like that, you can be a good team and win right away. Right. But I think that the thing that we take, you can take from this episode that we just did is I, the, the thing that generally jumped out at me is you saying the Jazz should not be trying to win now. They should be trying to win when Mitchell's 26. It, you know, the same could be said about the Sixers in some ways who accelerated their their sort of window. They like they like threw the window open right now and got out of that idea of um, what was that team from a couple of years ago where it was like Covington, Sarich, Reddick, Simmons, and Bede. You know, and that that kind of like a little bit more of an organic we're all growing together slowly as Simmons and Embiid find their footing in the league that got accelerated when they did the Butler trade and then subsequently the Harris trade. Um, I wonder whether or not for teams like Memphis, whether like, you know, their success in this small way will make them feel like they are closer than they actually are. Yeah, Chris, I would say it like this. Like if you're a rebuilding team, you have to decide who's your best player. Okay, or who's you, who are you building around? So like, right. if you're Utah and it's Donovan Mitchell, like he's a point guard. You've got to bring in players to make him, let him play point. So like for Memphis, you know, it's John Morant and Jaron Jackson. So you can try to get better, but don't bring another point guard. That'd be kind of pointless, right? right? Don't bring that's another stretch for it. Right. Well, these, and that's the it's, thing is that these teams typically are not good usually. And they have a lot of like picks, you know, falling in that top 15, 16 range. Look at the Bulls. This is exactly what happened to the Bulls, where they're like, ah, we'll just draft a bunch of guys and we'll, f- we'll have one of our coaching geniuses figure it out. And if you don't have a coaching genius to figure it out, you wind up with a team like the Bulls. Right. So you don't think Jim Boylan really worked a masterstroke But there? Jim Boylan is a perfect example of a guy like, I, I mean, I, you know, when you look at what's happening in Cleveland, maybe it's not having a teacher, quote unquote, is not any better. But... It, that's a perfect example of a guy who's not going to allow for like what are going to be natural mistakes for young kids to be making in the NBA. Yeah, one thing I've been thinking about, specifically in regard to the Hawks, is how it makes a lot of sense to tear down your roster to studs and get all this cap space because you present yourself with multiple pathways, right? Future flexibility. Sure. It's on the KOC soundboard where it just it's very helpful to have when you're trying to build a franchise from scratch. Just... Options. Yeah. You want as many options as possible. You want to have as many bites at the apple as possible, right? But I do wonder, as the Hawks are talking about getting into the Andre Drummond trade mix, how much that really matters versus maybe trying to strike a balance, more like what the Pelicans are doing by getting guys like Favors, Mm -hmm. getting guys like J.J. Redick in there, and you're not really leaning in one way too much in order to not be able to pivot in the middle of it if things don't go well because now they're at the point where perhaps they have to trade an asset just to get Drummond in there before he hits free agency and then pay him. Yes. Like, to me, that's just a complete, uh, like, misuse of cap space. If you, like, the point of having cap space is to draw elite guys down there in order to take your money. When, the, when the, like, a free agent comes along and says, I see what you guys are doing down here with DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter and Trey Young and John Collins, you're a me away from being really good in an Eastern conference that can often pivot soft sometimes, you know? Right. That would be in two or three years the time. But 
obviously the Atlanta ownership group and what, you know, the Atlanta fan base and just people sitting there and just being like, I can't watch this shit every night. Want And, and Trey Young is chief among them. Trey Young's been the most vocal, I don't want to wait guy of, of everybody in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at their roster, right? So you, like, forget the young guys. Look at some of the moves they made. So they traded... Kent Bazemore for mm-hmm. Evan Turner. That's a massive step down. It's also Even like, Bazemore like, is also notoriously like a good locker room guy who could probably p- keep people's heads up when they're on like yeah. six game losing streaks. And they let Dwayne Dedman walk, who was like their starting center last year. And even stuff like they traded Solomon Hill, who's playing well for Memphis for Chandler Parsons. And it's like, if your back of your roster is so bad that you can't support your young guys, it's going to be tough. Whereas like, if they had kept more of their veterans to be like a 30-35 win team, instead of going to 15-20, right? That's, to me, like the mistake they made was going too far south because anyways, now with the way the lottery works, you don't have to be one of the worst teams to get top three pick. It's all yeah. luck anyways. Yeah, wouldn't they be better off getting Dwayne Dedman back than going out and getting Andre Drummond? That's because, a really, really good point. Because like, if you're trying to wait, if you're trying to just make do until you could strike it big, paying Dedman whatever he's making, $13 million a year, to me, seems like more of a hedge than going out and getting Drummond and committing like a max maybe mm-hmm. uh, next well, year. Well, the one it, good thing is like they can burn the money. They have so much to spend. Like it wouldn't destroy their long-term cap sheet getting Drummond. Right. I guess it depends on what the goal is there because the what they're messaging is that this could be the next elite team, right? right? Like if you have two max slots, which I believe they have available to them uh, this summer, what they're saying is we could build the next super team, not just another Indiana Pacers. I think that is a key difference. That, but I think that they have to realize that the Warriors were built on Sean Livingston and Andrew Bogut and Andre Iguodala and having really, really, really savvy veteran players That's a good in there. Point. So it's like what maybe the Atlanta should do is go out and overpay for those kind of guys. You know what I mean? Rather than paying for Andre Drummond where you're going to get exactly what you think you're going to get and probably maybe unlock a part of Trey Young's game that's not there right now. But maybe it's more like you shouldn't have gotten rid of Bazemore. And if you're going to get Evan Turner in, play him and actually like have some competency. I don't know what Evan Turner did to just go, go completely out of the rotation. And that, that Parsons deal looks stupid now in retrospect. But yeah, like the, if you think that what you did is drafted a generation of talent in Hunter... And Trey, and I guess uh, Reddish, Reddish, I guess. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah. you know, then you Herder. should surround those guys. If you think that's the young core, you got to surround those guys with the veterans who will show them how to play in the NBA on a night-to-night basis. Right. The longer this goes on, the more it feels like the process. Yes. Like, what is different about what they're doing right now than what Sam Hinkie was doing? If anything, this is the playbook, right down to the point of drafting a player who might not be all that good. Like, Hunter, it feels like, fits what they're doing. And I kind of get the idea of just, like, assembling a team uh, in well, full. I, th- I as almost to- think they drafted Hunter, too, because they were, like, university, you know, he's a Virginia guy who plays hard-nosed defense and has got some savvy and has won a trophy. Like, I almost feel like they thought they were getting Iguodala when they got Hunter. Where it's like, no, you have to get a guy who's been in the league for, like, 12 years to get Iguodala. Yeah, I, I just... It, it was weird to just go for fit over talent, especially because what they're trying to do is is kind of like reach for the stars. Yes. Yes. But I just don't see how like Cam Reddish isn't just like some version of like a Jaleel Okafor. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I don't know. 
Um, we, we, you know, if we're talking about the Hawks, it's the end of the pod. So uh, <laughs> we'll wrap it up there. This week, we've got uh, Mismatch tomorrow, and then Heat Check will be on Wednesday this week. Uh, so no group chat on Wednesday, but uh, we'll be back next week at our regularly scheduled time. I think it'll just be Charks and Justin next week because I am out of the office. But thanks for listening. To Thanks for Bobby. Thanks to Bobby for recording. And uh, we'll be back. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.